Moncrief on News Talk. Happy International Women's Day. Now, as part of a proposed constitutional change that's been in the works for quite some time, Ireland will be voting on amendments to Articles 40 and 41 of the Constitution. The proposals from the recent Citizens' Assembly are that Article 40 should refer specifically to gender inequality, while 41 should no longer refer to the special place of women in the home. The vote is planned to take place in November, the same month, by the way, that the world celebrates International Men's Day. But apart from ridding the Constitution of language that no longer reflects modern Ireland, will a constitutional change make any fundamental difference? Dr Conor O'Mahony is Professor of Constitutional Law in University College Cork. Afternoon, Conor. Afternoon, Sean. Uh, now, I I think it's probably fairly obvious that the, these the 40 and 41 clauses in, in the Constitution, they date from De Valera's Ireland. Yes, that's right. Uh, Article 41 in particular, uh, which deals with the family, would be a provision that was quite strongly influenced by the, the Catholic Church at the time. So De Valera would have entered into uh, quite a bit of correspondence with Archbishop John Charles McQuaid, uh, who was a very dominant figure in, in the Ireland of the time, and he would have made quite a lot of suggestions to De Valera about what the constitution should have to say about the family and family life and the relationship between the state and the family. Uh, and a lot of his suggestions were taken up quite directly by De Valera and, f- and found their way into to that text. Uh, and so some aspects of it, like the ban on divorce, have, have been changed in the meantime, but other things like the fact that the family is is only the family based on marriage or this reference to women in the home, those those remain there to this day. Mm. Now, the, Article 40, and, and the first line in Article 40 is, all citizens shall, as human persons, be held equal under the law. Inserting a reference to gender into that, would that legally make much of a difference? Well, it's an interesting question, Sean, because... At the moment, the the guarantee of equality before the law would include uh, implicitly within that gender equality as well as equality based on on other types of status. Uh, And so there's a recommendation from the Citizens' Assembly that we would add to that, and the government appeared to be accepting that that recommendation, that we would specifically mention gender equality as as, uh, one particular ground of prohibited discrimination. Uh, now, it would already be the case that that Article 40.1 would prohibit discrimination based on gender. So uh, there is a debate to be had about whether or not there's a need to add a, a gender dimension that's expressly mentioned within that. Uh, and then also a question about what exactly will that mean in practice and, and how will that be interpreted? Now, we, we don't have a wording yet. We just have a broad statement from the government that th- this is part of the intention. But when that wording is published, I think there will be a detailed debate to be had about what its likely impact will be. And, and will that mean in some way that that gender discrimination will be more more strongly prohibited by the Constitution than other forms of discrimination? Uh, is Article 40.1, has it been used much in the courts anyway to, to fight against discrimination cases? Well, there's been lots of case law on Article 40.1. A lot of people have tried to challenge laws as as being discriminatory and contrary to Article 40.1. Very few have succeeded. Uh, So it's notoriously difficult to succeed in a case which argues that legislation uh, violates Article 40.1 because it discriminates on one ground or another. And the courts over the years have been very, very willing to accept justifications offered by the government for, for why that particular discrimination should be permitted. 
Uh, and there's only been a handful of cases over the years where people have successfully challenged laws under Article 40.1. As it happens, one of the best known ones was it was a gender equality case. It was a case where a law that made it more difficult for the more difficult for a widower to adopt than a widow was struck down as being an impermissible form of gender discrimination. But the vast majority of cases where people have tried to challenge laws under Article 40.1 have failed as it happens. So again, it raises the question, you know, if you're going to uh, amend it on, on one ground of discrimination, but not on others, what will that mean? And, and really, we won't know until we, we see a wording and until we see how the courts interact with that. Mm. Now, and as for Article 41, is, is the proposal to delete it altogether and replace it with something else? So the, there's been a lot of discussion about this over the years. You have this reference in Article 41.2 to uh, the goods that women uh, do for society through their life in the home. And there's been a, a broad agreement that that is sexist and outdated and that we should dispense with that. Uh, where there's been less agreement is what do you do instead? Do you simply take it out completely and leave a blank where it used to be? Or do you replace it with something more gender neutral? Uh, the most recent set of recommendations from the Citizens' Assembly was that we, we should replace it with a more gender neutral provision that would recognise uh, the value of, of care in the community and care in society more broadly, so that that would apply not just to, to women in the home, but also to men in the home, but, but equally not only necessarily to parents in the home, but to anybody who is providing a, a caring role that, that is beneficial to, to broader society. Um, so trying to pin down what that wording would look like is, is tricky. There's been a lot of discussion in various committees and groups over the years. Um, the, the Citizens' Assembly put forward a recommendation that uh, was inspired in part by elements of the South African constitution that would uh, compel the government uh, to try to, to make reasonable efforts to support that type of care so that there would be some form of obligation on the state, uh, not just to symbolically recognise this, but to actively support it. Uh, whether the government will go for that wording, I guess we'll have to wait and see over the summer. Oh, that's interesting, because uh, at the moment, uh, um, uh, 41.2 says, uh, the state shall therefore endeavour to ensure that mothers shall not be obliged by economic necessity to engage in labour to the neglect of their duties in the home. Has anyone ever tried suing on that basis? That's never gone anywhere in the courts. I mean, there was one uh, case in the High Court back in the 80s where the High Court did make a, a brief effort to use that provision to uh, share out the ownership of the family home between spouses in circumstances where perhaps only the man was working and actually paying for the home. Um, but that was overturned by the Supreme Court as, as being a stretch too far based on the existing wording. Um, so really, Article 41.2 has done very little in the courts over, over the years. Um, and so that was something the Citizens' Assembly was asked to consider. Do we want the replacement provision to be just largely symbolic like the existing provision, or do we want it to do something a little bit more concrete, whereby if somebody felt that the government wasn't adequately supporting carers in the home, uh, that perhaps you might have a constitutional cause of action to, to uh, go to court and to try to compel the government to change course on that. Uh, and as I say, they landed on the South African model, whereby it refers to, to making reasonable efforts. So the courts would in theory be uh, empowered to decide that a particular policy was unreasonable. Now, it would be up to the government to redraft it. The courts couldn't draft the policy, but the courts could, in essence, send the government back to the drawing board. So if that wording is adopted by the government, then that could be, be an interesting departure. But as I say, it remains to be seen whether that particular version is, is what they go for. Yeah. Uh, also, as well, the, the, in 41.1 uh, says the family is the natural primary and fundamental unit group of society. Well, would, is that likely to stay there? 
Well, so that particular one, I guess, is is not the most controversial aspect of Article 41 uh, more broadly. The, the, the real sticking point within it is more Article 41.3, which specifically states that the family is founded on marriage. Mm. So only families based on marriage are, uh, are recognised by the Constitution. And Article 41 doesn't recognise other family forms where people are cohabiting in long and stable relationships, perhaps with children or so on. Um, and again, the Citizens Assembly did make recommendations that that should be addressed, that we should have a more inclusive vision of family life in the Constitution that would reflect the reality of Irish society, where actually, you know, probably about more than a third of children are born outside of marriage now, and you, you have lots of diverse family forms. Um, but based on the reports today, it, it doesn't seem that the proposal for November's referendum is going to uh, go that far and, and, and address those aspects of Article 41. It seems to be uh, confined to this issue of gender equality specifically um, and the, the, the provision around women in the home and the provision on equality before the law. Yeah. And, you know, everybody agrees or the vast majority of people agree that, that it, it's outmoded wording. It, it has no place in, in modern Ireland. But from a legal point of view, uh, Connor, will even changing it would it make much of a legal difference? Well, I, again, it largely depends on the wording. I mean, you could, if you replace this fairly symbolic wording we have at the moment with gender-neutral symbolic wording, honestly, that wouldn't change very much. I mean, you know, probably fewer people would be annoyed by what the Constitution has to say on this issue, but it wouldn't be likely to change much in the courts. Um, whereas if you go for something that's a bit more strongly worded and a bit more substantive, uh, then you do potentially give the courts powers to do interesting things that might have positive impacts on gender equality in the future. Um, but that's very dependent on, on the wording that you go for and indeed also dependent on the extent to which the courts are willing to embrace that uh, because the courts sometimes are quite reluctant to make decisions which have policy implications in the sense that they, they don't see that as being their job. Um, so there are you know, quite a few variables in, in this particular equation, but pinning down the wording will, will really be a crucial part of all of this. Mm. Now, I'd say a lot of people listening who might be of a cynical frame of mind might think that's exactly what the, the government won't go for. They don't want uh, that the High Court or the Supreme Court telling them what to do. So if, if that is, if that turns out to be the case, is there an argument for maybe having this referendum at another time rather than a standalone event that's going to cost the state tens of millions of euro? Yeah, I mean, I think referendums are something which cost money and that in itself isn't an argument against holding referendums. The Constitution is clearly very important in our society, in our legal and political system. And so if you're going to engage with that in a, in a democratic society and hold referendums and give the people the chance to influence its wording, then, you know, the, the, the price that you have to pay for that is, is often worth it if you are making meaningful change. So cost alone is not an argument against amending the Constitution. However, if the amendment is going to be purely symbolic and just tinkering at the edges and, and not doing anything meaningful, uh, well, then in that instance, you might think, well, if that's all we're going to do, uh, then perhaps, yeah, it might be worth considering, could you do this on a day when you have local elections, European elections, or even a general election, um, and in that sense, uh, reduce some of the costs associated with running a referendum. So, you know, as I say, that, that that's dependent. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be one who would always say referendums are more expensive than, than, than they're worth, um, but it kind of depends on the content of that referendum as well. Conor O'Mahony is Professor of Constitutional Law in University College Cork. Conor, thanks a million. Okay, thank you, Sean. Moncrief, weekdays at 2 p.m. on News Talk.